Greetings and salutations. I hope your day is both tranquil and fulfilling. I am Athanasius, and welcome back to the podcast of the Boldly Immortal. Today, we'll be talking about two major topics, uh, justification and guilt. Uh, And the key to this, the crux of the issue, will be the the crucifix. Uh, And and, and this is why. So we are going through a, a bit of a spell in our modern American context, where we have this this massive issue with the the, the question of, 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 well, guilt. White guilt is a big thing. Now, full disclosure, I am white, right? My skin is about as pasty white as it can be when I'm out of the sun. I have the glowing thigh syndrome where, you know, it's just, it's just pale, very, very pale. Um, that's genetic. I received that from my parents. I'm not really that ashamed of the fact that I have pale skin. Like, how could one be ashamed of it? I have to be careful about sunburns. You know, I have to be smart about what I eat, not eat too much sugar, because that's going to cause your skin to burn. Um, the reaction is easier uh, versus absorbing vitamin D, which you get from good nutrients if you eat like meat. I don't know. To anybody who's new to this podcast, I eat meat. I love eating meat. Every once in a while, I'll mix it up, but it's great for you. It's healthy for you. Eat meat. It's good. Um, but that's not what it's about, though. That's not what white guilt is. It's not guilt about having pasty white thighs in the summer. Um, it's it's about the historic actions of Northern European peoples in colonizing and conquering the world, right? There's a reason that the language of trade across the world is English, and it's because the English conquered the world, <laughs> Practically, from a practical perspective, they had a global empire. They had the largest empire, right? The sun never set on the British Empire. Well, it was basically true. There was always somewhere around the world that the British controlled where the sun was shining. And and that was a massive, massive enterprise. I mean, absurdly large. We can't even really conceive of what that meant at the time because we live in a post, uh, post-colonial era to a certain extent. Um, we're also pre-colonial because colonization is coming back, but um, the the age of colonization is, is something that's that's hard for us to really wrap our heads around, given the technology that they had. I mean, it was long trips that they had to take to to get from, let's say, Britain to America or Britain to India, right? But they went and they they did conquer, right? Spain went and conquered South America, and France went to Africa and. Germany tried to get something, they didn't, and World War I started because they tried to make a local empire, right? All sorts of problems. Now, part of, of what's going on with English, right? English isn't just because England conquered the world, right? Why isn't it Spanish? Spanish has more speakers. Well, it's because of the nature of English, I think. I think the nature of the language is such that it is, it's a leech because it kind of is a hybrid language, right? It's a little bit of, little bit of Celtic, a little bit of Latin, a little bit of German, you know, th- mash them all together, and you get Arthur, King of the Britons, from last week. Check it out. It's a good, good, uh, good episode. Uh, we'll be referencing it later. But English is this, this perfect little language for conquering the world because it has less formal structure. It, it's already built as a hybrid. It, it can kind of adapt to whatever needs it has. It has this history of great linguists like Shakespeare basically forming the language, right? Creating words out of, out of nothing. Uh, and, 
And that was, that was, I think, part of the reason that English was a successful language in, in global conquest. But there's another reason, and it's because they had guns, and they came from an island. And, and when you put guns on an island, you make a pretty powerful little space. Uh, an island that can defend itself and remain autonomous, and, and an island can defend itself because it has a natural moat, right? And an island that can be strong and unified is very difficult to fight against. And what happened in the age of, of colonization was, was that a navy became much more important. Right? In order to get to America, you had to have a decent navy. Well, if you're an island, you've got a head start. If you're an island, you have a head start on building a world-class navy, and that is what allowed England to be the, the global superpower for many, many years. And frankly, what makes America the global superpower right now, right? What makes America the world police is the fact that we have the largest navy. We have the most powerful navy in human history. Now, I don't want to say we have the most men because I don't, I don't know the history well enough to make that hands-down argument, but I do know that America's military can go toe-to-toe with any other military on earth in, in history. And, and frankly, America's military could probably beat the combined America's Navy could probably at this moment beat the combined navies of the rest of the world combined. Now, there's a lot of other issues if they tried to beat us, like the fact that economically they'd be in real trouble, and demographically they'd be in real trouble, and the fact that, well, I mean, we sell enough of our own weapons to them that, well, source-wise, they'd have some some trouble, um, and we probably have some back doors in there. So, in other words, trying to beat America's Navy is going to be a difficult thing to do. What gives America their hegemony is the fact that they have this international network that they have uh, built up because they have a powerful navy. And, and they've used trade connections because of the common language. And, and that common language was because the, the people of Northern Europe, with some selfish intentions, right? The desire to go out and, and make a name for yourself or, or claim resources or claim land or take it from other people, yes, the desire to own slaves, yes, that was a motivation for some of these people. For some of them, it was a desire to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, dead and risen again. The fact that he, he, he is risen, you are paid for. You're immortal now. I am Athanasius. You know, we, are, we are immortals. Uh, they wanted to pass that on to, to the people of the world because they had a culture that believed it and, and was unified around those, those principles. Uh, and to a certain extent, then you had competition with the Reformation, right? And so people wanted to go compete. They wanted to go grow their churches. And so they went out to the rest of the world and sought new converts. And in so doing, they also sought to subjugate those peoples to the way of life that they were accustomed to, right? To the hierarchies and authority structures that they were used to in their European settings. And this included a... A, an adaption uh, this included slavery and there's no way to dance around that that slavery was real slavery is real frankly technically right now slavery exists across the world there are open air slave markets in libya in libya right remember remember uh benghazi right remember uh muammar gaddafi yeah like we got rid of him and then the guys he was keeping down are now selling slaves openly right across from italy in Carthage, right? That's the, the slave markets in Carthage. All right, look it up seriously. It, this is this is ridiculous. Slavery has been a global institution throughout all of human history. 
pretty much, right? We, we have, we've had slaves as, as long as we've had the ability to conquer other peoples, right? Assyria was awful at this. The Muslims were awful at this, right? The word slave comes from the word Slav, right? Northern Europeans being taken captive um, to, to serve as servants by, well, oftentimes other Europeans, but, but also other peoples. Um, caliphates did this, and, and yes, Northern Europeans did as well. They engaged in the slave trade, and frankly, they were probably some of the best at it ever, which is depressing, uh, kind of impressive, but despicable all the same. And so what you had, you had good men stand up against it, good women too, right? And the, 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 the movement for the abolition of slavery was a united effort of people who understood the common humanity that we all share and sought to enact that in their daily lives. And this was, was apart from race, this was apart from, from gender, this was apart from religion somewhat, but it was a common creed. There was a common belief that, that all men are men and are deserving of that proper treatment, uh, not to, do not deserve to be owned. You can't own a man. That, that a man belongs to God. And so you cannot own him. And, and, and that belief that we had led to, well, at least in America, our most bloody war. World war, uh, Civil War. World War. Gee. Civil War. Right? There's a reason we need to remember that. As much as there were other things going on, to be sure there were other things going on, but it is through that context that we abolished the institution of slavery, and that was good. And we can argue about states' rights all we want, but slavery was gotten rid of, and that was good, right? The institution would not have died as quickly as we think, uh, I would argue, because institutions never die quickly, and you know, people are willing to dig in their heels for their principles. And wicked principles must be removed uh, by appropriate means, or by great, great patience, right? If you had the ability to end abortion, how many lives is it worth to end the, the number one cause of death in America? Because that's what it is. How, how much is that worth to you? Now, if we can do this by peaceful means, God be praised, let's do it, and let's continue to do that. But let's recognize what our forebears were willing to sacrifice for the recognition of common humanity. That they were willing to lay down their lives, to ensure that, that, that what was good and right was maintained. And let us not become weak-hearted and despairing of the potential to, to, to actually do what is right. So, so in America, we did this. In, in England, you have uh, William Wilberforce doing, doing fantastic work. This is uh, connected with like, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, right? That, that hymn that we all like that doesn't mention Jesus. Um, it, uh, it was written by a man who, who was a former slave trader and, and repented of what he had done, right? I once was blind, but now I see. Uh, that, that, that grace saves you, right? This was the conviction that, that led people to repent of their wicked ways, to turn from their evil ways and live. Uh, I've been going through Ezekiel 18 tonight, so uh, that, that's a good and relevant text for this. But arguably because the... These cultures, these historic, historic Christendom, right? To use a good, a good word, the West, decided they were no longer going to own slaves. They then 
because they had this global empire, said, well, let's end it everywhere too. Let's go around the world and end slavery because that's probably the right thing to do too. Right? We're going to go impose our values across the world. Was that good? Yes. I'm not even going to argue on that one. You want to argue with me? Argue with me on, on that another day. But yeah, it was good that we went and we laid down our blood and treasure, our lives, our, our, our cultures, our communities. We sent good men to die so that foreigners would not be slaves. That is good. And what that now means is that there's an expectation in the global spirit, right, the breath of the, of, the, of the nations, that, well, we're willing to do that. That we think it's wrong, so we should be, we being Christendom, think that slavery is wrong, and so then we should be able to be extorted for that. There's a, there's a belief among the nations that that is true. Right? And there's a belief among historic Christendom, right, the remnants of the kingdom of well, Numenor, right? The remnants of Numenor remember their wickedness and feel guilty still. And that's called white guilt, right? Because people with white skin one time back in the day repented of their wickedness and we live in a world after their repentance. We live in a world where those men realized what they did was wrong and they sacrificed themselves to end it. And, and that robbed people of justice in their own minds because they didn't earn their own salvation. They didn't earn their own redemption. The, 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 those who were sold, sold into slavery did not oftentimes you know, earn their own freedom. At least not after the Emancipation Proclamation. Not well, I mean, the Emancipation Proclamation didn't actually affect it. But after the Civil War ends, they're no longer slaves, not by their own doing, but by the outside mercy of the North, right? Sending their men to die for slaves. This is this is such an outburst of Christian values. I, it's hard to think of it any other way. Like we have to recognize what this is. That we went to war with Barbary pirates because of their slave trade. And you know what? They're angry at us now, or they're willing to extort us now, Christians, because they know we believe these things are wrong. And we believe that, that there were people who looked like us who erred in the past. And we believe it too. We have a, we have a lingering guilt in our culture about the fact that we used to be wrong. That we actually used to do things wrong. Because we live in a culture that believes that you can change what you do, but you know, so so let me actually let me unpack that real quick, right? We live in an era where we believe that we're moving towards a progressively better world, right? A, pro a progressively improved society where where we're we're constantly seeking greater enlightenment through greater abandonment of authority and denigration of men, right? For some reason, that's what we believe that that you're going to create a better society by removing men and you know, abusing them and making them feel awful and, you know, acting on your licentiousness and whoring yourselves out to other people. And it's in the Bible, so I'm, I, feel free, I feel comfortable using that word. Deal with it. So that's our culture. Unfortunately, though, that leads to what we see in the uh, institutions. We call it cancel culture or 
um, you know, this is the the woke ideology where you, you, you have to always keep up to date with the progressive, the newest ideas. And if pedophilia is okay as passed down from the cathedral of woke, well, you better change and, and adapt to that. Even if you would have five years ago believed it was abominable, well, you better believe it's okay now. And anybody who doesn't agree with that is a bigot. Well, that's a bad culture. And that is a culture that will look at the past and say there are no redeeming qualities here because they aren't enlightened like we are. And so rather than judging them objectively based on their conditions, they would rather ignore them and say, well, they did some bad stuff, so they are evil entirely and completely. There is no justification for what they did. There is no forgiveness. And anyone who agrees that they did some good things, right? anybody who can look at a bad man who does good things and say, hey, he did some good things. Anybody who thinks that, that they're evil too. Right? The imputation of guilt. And yeah, there's a reason I'm using, using biblical words here. That we have, a, we have people in our culture who do not forgive the West for robbing them of their self-justification. We, they, they do not forgive the West for robbing them of their own earning salvation. They were given it for free, and they are resentful. And we have people in the West, in the remnants of the rest, right? The, 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 we have leftover Numenorians, right? Black Numenorians, Dark, dark-hearted Numenorians is probably a better way of putting it, right? Um, or maybe just call them Gondorians, because you know it's basically you know, the, the 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 dwindling of of men um, who believe that they themselves are guilty, that they are unholy, right? They're they're unrighteous because of the sins of their fathers, and then they seek justification by their woke actions. Right? They are, it's a religion. Fundamentally, if we think about it as a religion, it makes sense. That white guilt is sin. It is, it is guilt over the fact that you believe you are wrong. And there are, the others are the only people who can provide forgiveness. Right? If you have a, a black friend, you can be forgiven of that. But only if they're woke. Right? If they're conservative, then they're evil. Right? They're, then they're, you know, they're slurred. But... But there are, there are cult-like actions that you can undergo, that you can, that you can participate in. There are rallies you can go to to prove you're a good person, to show that you're righteous, that you are dedicated to, to doing what is right, to, to, be, to become, to, to have a clean conscience. They, they, try, they are trying to have a clean conscience because they are overwhelmed with the guilt of their ancestors because their ancestors happened to be men from a different time who actually may have participated in evil. Statistically, weren't that many of them, but there were fewer people on earth, so, you know, it's, it's, it's complicated for sure. But the fact that there were sinners in the past means for some reason that, that we need to to be guilty now. There's another piece of that uh, Ezekiel text, right? The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. Right? The are you are you punishing your chi- the, the children for the sins of their parents? No, you're, we're punishing the children for the children's sins, right? What what do I mean by that? The the guilt they feel right now is is not the guilt of their fathers. It's their own guilt. It, it is a it is their own problem. 
It is a matter of self-justification. It's not about the past. No historical argument is ever going to argue a woke per, a, a person from the cult of woke. It's not. It's never going to convert them. Just because you're like, oh wait a second, no, they weren't actually racist. Like that's not that's not the point. It's about self-justification. It's about righteousness. It's about being having a clean conscience and being right with God, while simultaneously believing there is no God and there is no forgiveness. There's an, an immensely powerful quote uh, or clip, I guess, from the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, their, their national gathering, I believe it was last summer, where there was a contingent of people representing the, the black community in that church body. And the, the church officials, as a group, formally apologized for the sin of racism and, and forgiveness was withheld from them by the other contingent. Forgiveness was formally withheld from a penitent sinner. I don't know of many things that are more unchristian than that. That is, that is directly against the, the command of Christ, right? What is the church here for? What is the office of the keys given for? It is given for this, the forgiving the repentant sinner. And so what, what, they're sa- what they were saying is, well, no, you may, be, you may say you're sorry for racism, but you're not. And even if you are, we're not forgiving you. Well, I'm sorry, you're outside the church. Now, it's the ELCA. I get it. I get it. They're already outside the church because they deny the veracity of Scripture. Fine. Fine. Right? If you're going to deny that Jesus actually rose from the dead and you're paid for, uh, then you know, and, and that therefore we ought to live uh, good and godly lives. If you're going to deny that, well, fine. I'm sorry. You're, you're outside the church. Um, doesn't mean you're outside of the faith, and I pray fervently that you come back to the faith. Um, but yeah, we got, we got problems there. But it, there's, a, there's an issue there that there is no forgiveness given. The cult of woke does not forgive. The cult of, of social justice, right? Justice, right? Causing th- something to be just. The cult of social righteousness, of societal justification. The cult of national religion national justification, right? The, 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 the public righteousness. There it is. It is the cult of public righteousness and justification through public righteousness. That's what they believe. You can only be a good, what we would say as Christians, we would say godly, right? They would say a good person if you're woke, if you go to a, the right rallies and support the right candidates and all those things, right? That's the only way that you can be good and be one with the universe and whatever that means, right? It's very short-sighted thinking, but it's a cult. Of course it is. Of course it is. And so what does this have to do with, with the crux of the matter, right? What does this have to do with the Proverbs, right? Oh, I didn't say that at the beginning, did I? I've been reading through the Proverbs um, and then and then going uh, two verses a day, beginning with chapter 10, right, where it says the Proverbs of Solomon, just going two, two verses a day, reading, reading them and then trying to interpret them and understand what they mean. It, it, smart noting, right? I talked about note, notation, I think, two episodes ago. Highly recommend it. Writing things on paper is a fantastic way to think and to learn 
Um, and so what I'm trying to do is take the words of Solomon and write them in my own words and then meditate on those words and, and like think about what's being said here. And what's beautiful is, yeah, I, I'm not guaranteed that I'm going to be right, which is why I go to church, right? <laughs> so I can make sure I'm actually reading this properly, right? It's why I have a pastor. It's why I listen to other exposition of the word of, of, the word of God. But I'm just going to go through a few of these, these uh, proverbs that I've been looking through about justification and righteousness. Um, oh, no, not, let's do that one later. Let's start with Proverbs, um, Proverbs 10.28. The hope of the righteous will be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. That it is comfort and joy to hope in the Lord. And, and the, the expectation of the wicked will perish. This was, whoever seeks his own gain finds its end in a tomb. Whoever f- seeks his own gain finds its end in a tomb. Um, that was my thought based on that proverb. It's, it's a delightful experience. Um, so, so that's the idea, is, is to take right, the expectation of the wicked will perish. Well, where, where, where will it perish? What is that going to look like? And what is their expectation? Right? The expectation of the wicked is their own gain. They're seeking their own, their own benefit. And how does it perish? They die. They're going to die. It's all going to die. It is all dust. Vanity of vanity. All is vanities. All is vanity. Um, so whoever seeks his own gain finds it ends in a tomb. And the beauty of it is the one who seeks his own gain outside of himself also finds it ends in a tomb. But he is risen. Right? The tomb is empty. You are paid for, right? So, so there's some beauty in that. There's forgiveness. This is a great. This is a great uh, little experience. I, I highly recommend it. Um, the Proverbs ten thirty one. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut out. The justified speak wisdom, right? The justified. The mouth of the righteous. The righteous and just are the same word, right? And, and, and the righteous are those who are justified. The, those who are made righteous are those who are made just. So when you are justified by faith, when God makes you just, makes you righteous, then this applies to you. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom. The justified will speak wisdom. Those who are, who are forgiven, who, are, who believe in Christ, will speak wise words. And those who self-justify will be destroyed. They will be cut out. The perverse tongue will be cut out. This is the, this is the destiny of self-justification. This is perverse. This is what is that, that nature. Proverbs 11.2 When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. The first, the first read of this, because I actually had to do this one twice. Uh, anything you take pride in will become a shame to you and dishonor. Be humiliated. Looked down on. Be littled. And find wisdom there. Right? Now, there's certain value to that for historic Christendom. Right? Those who conquered the world. What you take pride in will become your shame. When pride comes, then comes shame. Right? Was, was, was going over the world, was, was knocking slavery out, was that 
done for our own good or was it should it have been done just for the good of the neighbor? And I think, frankly, as a people, we, we took too much pride in that, in our own righteousness, in our own good deeds, and, and shame followed because we were not perfect in our doing of that. We were not perfect in how we went about trying to do right. And, and in fact, we had to try and do right because we did wrong first. Right? When pride comes, then comes shame. Shame. Anything you take pride in will become shame. And then the second read of this, I think, is more poignant to the point. Your heroic story will become a villain's or worse, a fool's journey. The heart understanding is found in dust, in patient suffering of offenses and in humiliation. Boy, what does that say strategically for us now? Your heroic story will become a fool's journey. The, the story we tell ourselves about how we're such good people, about our history and how we're such awesome people, it, it's going to be spat upon. Pride leads to shame. But humility, understanding is found in the dust. Understanding is found in the dust. I, I, I was thinking about that. I, I'm still trying to reckon with what that's saying. Right, And again, that's me saying that. With the humble, there is wisdom. What is humility, though? Right. Look the word up. Look, look, look the Greek word, look the Hebrew words up and, and meditate on that. What is humility? What does it mean to be beaten down? Proverbs 11.5 The righteousness of the blameless will direct his way aright, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. Translation, um, or I guess smart note from Titus. All trust in their justification. Be careful what justifies. Everyone trusts in what makes them right. So be careful what makes you right. Is it your own good works or is it Christ? Right? The people who are going out and starting fires and, and mobbing the, the courts and you know, taking over cities as best they can and failing miserably but, but still causing massive amounts of chaos and damage, they're doing it because they think that justifies them. They're doing it because they think it's right. They think it's godly. They don't believe in God, but that's what they think. They believe that it is righteousness, holiness, right? They believe that. And the, the righteousness of the blameless will direct his way aright, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. They're going to be consumed, right? Who's the who are the first people taken out when the communist revolution occurs? It's the useful idiots. Right? It's the useful. It's the guys who have been pushing the propaganda the hardest. Why? Because when it doesn't turn into their communist utopia, they're going to rebel. So you get rid of them first, right? Just quietly and easily. The wicked falls by his own wickedness, and then ultimately communism is self-destructing because well, it's it's international atheism. Um, it's the most abominable idea we've ever had, and we welcomed it into our churches even. It's despicable. Um, everyone trusts in their own justification, though. Everyone trusts in their justification. Be careful what justifies. Are you justified by what you do, or are you justified by Christ? Are you justified by Christ? And then finally, and I, I left this one for the end uh, intentionally, Proverbs 11, verse 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, 
but righteousness delivers from death. Righteousness delivers from death. Justification is beyond all wealth. Justification is beyond wealth. Or, second translation of this, you can never buy a clean conscience. You can never buy a clean conscience. And this gets to the idea that we have of reparations now, right? Oh, just pay us a bunch of money and we'll forgive you. No, you won't. No, you won't. There is no forgiveness for white guilt. Not in the secular way. Not in public righteousness, right? Not in the cult of public justification. Not in the, in the cult of, well, I guess, yeah, public. Not just in the terms of, like, out in public, but also, like, national. Like, national, international, right? Or, or however you want to conceive of that, right? In the Googleplex. There is no true forgiveness, There is no clean conscience in the cult of woke. There is no clean conscience for the one who believes that he he is guilty because of his race. Unless you turn to the one who actually justifies and listen to him. And listen to him. So this is where my crucifix comes in. See, I've decided to start carrying it in public as best I, if I can remember, and I'm trying to remember more often. I've taken it into the grocery store a couple of times. It's it's good fun. Frankly, if I've got a mask on and a crucifix hanging down from my chest that's, you know, five inches long, people are going to pay attention. And frankly, if they're going to shove their religion in my face, right, which is what the mask is, it's, it's a religion of fear. If they're going to shove their religion in my face, I'm throwing mine right back in theirs. And what is my what is my religion? My religion my, my fervent belief, my hope, my justification comes outside of me in a dead man on a cross dying for me, taking the punishment for all of my white guilt, taking it onto himself from the one who ultimately any injustice was done against, and that is God, that he has taken his his righteous judgment, and poured it on his son. And his son died for me. And then he rose again. Which means that death no longer has dominion over him. That no sin is unpaid for. That no guilt and no shame remains for the people of God. That those who are justified can live with clean consciences, can hope in the fact that even as he rose, we too shall rise, that he who ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father shall in likewise manner return to judge the living and the dead, to justify the righteous, to to, to justify those who believe, who, who hope in his return, who look to him for their salvation, who look to him for their justification. That is my belief. That is my religion. I'd love to talk to you about it sometime. Maybe I'd, maybe I, should, I could tell you about it. I don't know. I'm not sure if we'll have time on this podcast for me to tell you all about exactly what it is, but um, that's my religion. That is my religion. That was a joke there, by the way. Not sure if it came across. Um, that's my religion. If you're going to shove your, yours in mine, I'll shove mine right back at you because I love you and I want you to know that he is he died and he rose and and you're paid for 
right? You are redeemed. You are justified. There is justice. There is so there is godly justice going on. Holy justice. The justice of the Almighty God poured out on you in the in the form of forgiveness for you and wrath toward his son. The great exchange. You say the way of the Lord is not fair. No. The way of the Lord is fair. The way of the Lord is right and just. Who are you to tell him otherwise? Who are you to spit in God's face and say, well, you, you forgiving my sins is great and all, but I'd rather you didn't. I'd rather not be forgiven ever and hold shame for the rest of my life. Does that mean that that's awful? That's awful. Now, does the fact that Jesus forgave you mean that you're not ever going to feel shame? No, you're going to feel shame. But you can never buy a clean conscience. And you don't need to because it's free. Because the price of immortality is, is beyond all payment. It is, etern- it is infinite. It is, it is the cost of, of the death of God's Son. What, what greater price could there be? The death of God. You, you can't pay anything higher than that. And that is the cost of immortality, and it's been paid for you. You could never pay for it yourself. You could never pay for that yourself. And God be praised, you don't have to. So when I wear that crucifix out in public, and when I carry it around, I'm carrying my white guilt along with me. I, I look forward to the day I can actually have that conversation with somebody and talk to them about my white guilt, about the man who takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb of God, Agnus Dei Quitolis Peccata Mundi, Agnus Dei Quitolis Peccata Mundi, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Dona nobis pacem, grant us peace. Have mercy on us, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. This is why the liturgy is awesome, but I know what it means. Know what it means. Know what the cross means. The cross is your white guilt. It is your answer to the, the screams of, of the hordes who, who, who would have you self-justified, who would preach to you self-justification only through their forgiveness and then refuse forgiveness to you. The cross is the answer to your own flesh that, that feels the guilt of, of whatever blessings God has heaped upon you or whatever sins you've committed this day. The cross is the answer to it. Flee to it. Flee to that great gift of God. His own blood, his own body and blood. Flee to the sacrament too. But in those daily moments, I flee to my sword, the word of God, the breath that gives life to the dying, the breath that enters the valley of the dry bones and breathes life into the people, into my dead, dead corpse, dead in trespasses and sins. He made us alive When the word died, I rose. And that's my body that will rise as his body did. And I hope in that. So that, that there, that is my self-justification. That is my, that's not not my self-justification. That's my justification though. That is my righteousness. Jesus is my righteousness. He is my justification. He is the justice. He is the peace. He is the one through whom I have a clean conscience 
And because of that clean conscience and the forgiveness through that gift, I will seek to do what is best for my neighbor, to judge him based on the content of his character and not the color of his skin, to, to judge him on, on his individual experience and his individual talents and gifts and who God made him and who he gave, who he, who he equipped me to help. Right? Who is this person whose God has put into my life that I might serve them? To, to, to either bring them to faith or encourage their faith or give a cup of cold water to the least of these. Perhaps that is enough for, for, for a day to, to do what is right. Plant, a, plant an apple tree. But, but at the very least, that's, that is the confidence that I have. That is my confidence. That is my hope. It is that I do not have to fear when I go out in public, when I go and speak with my enemies at the gate, I can do so with a clean conscience. I can do so with no fear, with no white guilt. I don't have to look back at the history of, of my, my culture, right, America or the West or Christendom and say it was all good. It wasn't all good. All have sinned and continually fall short of the glory of God. Yes, and evil men have continued to do evil things, whether in the name of God or in their own names. And they ought to be called out and they ought to be condemned for the specific things they do which are not right. But no man, no man can see the heart. Only God, and God will judge all of our hearts equally. And through his Son, through his Son, we are justified. We are judged right with God. We are, we are proclaimed to be right with God so that when the judge comes, he says, yeah, it's all good. You're perfect. You're redeemed. You are purchased. He is risen. You are paid for. He's reigning and ruling over all things. He's coming back soon. So join me with a clean conscience, with, with valiant hearts. Rise up. Take your sword. Take your sword. Take your, your guilt and shame and know to whom it belongs. You have not been authorized to be ashamed. You have been, not been authorized to be guilty. Your guilt is taken away in Christ. Do not wallow in it. Do not enjoy it. Do not wallow in the muck. But look forward to the great hope that we have confident in the resurrection of our Lord. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. 